Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, Councilman in, in uh, Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened, you know I've talked to people from uh, every state, from Florida to Alaska, uh, Hawaii to Maine, all levels of government from U.S. Senate to uh, city council and, and school board. All elections are important. There are 500,000 elected offices in this country, and we don't get good people in them unless good people run. And one place I think has some of the best Democrats running is Michigan. I have been really impressed by Michigan. Um, it just seems like the coolest, most fun political party, um, uh, taking my Pennsylvania bias out of it. Uh, and today I'm really excited to go back to Michigan to talk with someone who I have admired for a while. He is a state senator. And he's a younger state senator compared to a lot of other ones in the country, Jeremy Moss. So, uh, Senator Moss, Jeremy, thanks for talking today. I'm glad uh, to be on. I really am. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. I've been following you because I follow a lot of state legislators, for both for the podcast and just to follow the news. And it seems like the power of government, the most important thing right now, may be state legislators. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. In the face of all these consequential decisions regarding women's reproductive health or ways to curb gun violence, um, those all go through your state legislature right now for lack of federal action. And so, yes, we are uh, the battleground uh, all across the country in ensuring uh, protection of all these rights and on top of that, voting rights. And one of the things that seems really cool about Michigan is that your governor and your legislature um, you, even though with all the things happening with abortion rates in particular, um, you guys don't seem to be on the defensive. It's a battleground state. seems like you guys have an, a posture of being on the offensive in terms of, you know, solidifying those rights. Yeah, you know, obviously when Roe fell, uh, I think a lot of people around the country looked toward Democratic majorities and what are you doing with it? What have you done with it? Why haven't we been in a better position um, to protect reproductive health in the face of, of a very conservative court dismantling it altogether. And in Michigan, we rolled up our sleeves early. Uh, and so we worked this on many fronts. Number one, legislatively, we introduced legislation to repeal our archaic 1931 abortion felony law. And unfortunately, Republicans uh, in the majority have held that up. But we had the governor push forward on uh, asking the Supreme Court to determine whether or not that 1931 law was even constitutional in Michigan. So that created this stay on this law uh, as the Supreme Court weighs in on that. And then we had Planned Parenthood here in Michigan actually sue uh, earlier in the year uh, to, uh, to determine the constitutionality of that law, and it made its way through the court. So we've tackled this on all ends. Uh, and fortunately, this 1931 law is not in effect as all of these suits make its way through the court. On top of that, we have a ballot proposal to enshrine choice in our Michigan Constitution that collected enough signatures, the most signatures ever collected in a ballot proposal in the state of Michigan. And it will be on our ballot uh, to protect uh, choice in the Michigan Constitution. So while we have a stay in the court on this 1931 law from being enacted, we will have a choice for voters to make on the ballot to protect abortion care in the state of Michigan. So uh, Democrats were organized in the state of Michigan uh, to this uh, very consequential uh, and dangerous uh, decision made uh, by, the, by the U.S. Supreme Court so that we would at least uh, have our say here in our state. 
And um, while you were going to try to do those things anyway, it must feel emboldening to see what happened in Kansas recently with, you know, Kansas, obviously a quote unquote redder, more conservative state than Michigan. So if they can do what they did to uh, support abortion rights there, probably gives you a good momentum in Michigan. And, we, and we're talking about that even still this morning uh, at our at our Democratic uh, Unity Breakfast here in Oakland County, Michigan, that look what happened in Kansas. Uh, there are just certainly most Democrats and enough Republicans out there uh, who did not want to see this day uh, to come. And for 49 years, uh, with uh, abortion health care protected, did not think that they would have to politically organize around it. But they did, and they will, and they had in Kansas, and we will here too in Michigan. And voters will have their say uh, here in Michigan in November to protect all of the health care that, that we've, uh, we've insured over these last 49 years. So before we started recording, I did say I was going to start with a controversial question. I didn't get to that yet. And uh, because I think that you and I probably agree there's some red lines in politics, right? Like if someone in your caucus um, committed a major felony, you would want them kicked out of your caucus in the Democratic Party, for example. Um, so I just asked this question now of a lot of my guests. Um, would you support or oppose organizing a violent mob to murder the vice president, whoever the vice president is? So I would oppose that. Okay, good. We're good. We're on the same page. And I'll, I'll even go one further. We had uh, an armed mob come mm -hmm. into the Michigan Capitol uh, in, on April 30th, 2020. So I know everybody around the country knows January 6th, 2021. Uh, but we endured that in the Michigan legislature. And I can tell you, it was not fun. Mm -hmm. I did not particularly enjoy it that much. And then that plot to kill uh, Michigan's governor also included killing us as legislators. Yeah. Uh, they were going to execute all of us on live television and burn the Capitol building down. So uh, I'm very opposed to that. And you know, you're smiling, and I'm right now. You had a good breakfast, and I don't mean the food. Like you had your unity breakfast, and and good people. And like I said, you guys are not holding back as a party in Michigan. But to me, you know, if I went to work at my regular job, and there were people who were trying to blow up our office building and commit violence, I would probably want a new job. That's not worth the time. And there's a lot of other jobs right now where people are like, it's not worth it. Um, you know, nurses have left the job because of violence in the workplace. Um, teachers have left the job because of, you know, not feeling safe. Um, how do you guys stay motivated and stay resilient in the face of those kind of very real threats? So I, I just won my primary on, on Tuesday, which I was very excited mm -hmm. about. But we had a candidate forum uh, uh, in uh, in June, and uh, one of the questions that was asked in this forum is, "Why are you running? Why are you running for this office for me, re-election to the Michigan Senate?" And I thought about, you know, I ran for the Southfield City Council. It's a it's a, a major Detroit suburb. Uh, Eleven years ago, and was elected. Uh, and the reason I ran is I was 24, and the city council in Southfield was a council of elders. In fact, the oldest local elected official in the state of Michigan on our city council was 93 years old at the time. So I was 25, 24. Mm -hmm. He was 93. Uh, and I ran because I thought that there was value uh, to providing a younger voice and attracting new Southfielders to invest in our communities, buy homes, populate our school districts, uh, fill in some jobs in our community. That's why I ran. Now, I feel like I'm running to restore democracy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, it, it, the issues have totally shifted 
Um, certainly, obviously, care about those economic issues, those kitchen table issues. But here in Michigan, especially, you know, I'm running uh, for issues of the greatest consequence. Michigan was ground zero in this COVID pandemic protest. Uh, the very first protest around the country against uh, against health orders due to COVID was in Michigan on April 15th, 2020. They couldn't even make it to April 15th, mm -hmm. 2020 before politicizing this virus. And then heading into that fall, we were ground zero again for a hostile plot to steal an election uh, here in the state of Michigan. So it's just been one chaos that bleeds into the next and bleeds into the next. And so I certainly signed up all those years ago to provide an energetic, youthful voice in government. Um, but to, to where we are now, we're on the front lines of defending our democracy. Uh, and that keeps me vote motivated uh, in, in this fight. Uh, among the most consequential things that we've been dealing with around the country have found a path through the Michigan legislature over the last two and a half years. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I kind of had this motto over the last several several years that every day is chaos in the Michigan legislature. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to compartmentalize it uh, and, 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 and go to battle every day. And the days that aren't chaos are like a blessing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wear my, I wear my uh, you know, uh, proverbial armor to work every single day in this fight uh, to restore our democracy. So you actually answered like three questions I had written down at one time. I appreciate that. There you go. Um, you know, and, and one of those things I've been thinking about, I asked my state senator, Amanda Capaletti, here a few months ago on the podcast, is if you want to pass things in Michigan, and you want to, you, the budget is often bipartisan in most states and, and a lot of other things are, you now have to negotiate with not just the other political party, but your coworkers. Many of whom, like here in Pennsylvania, so many people in the other party signed on to take away my vote from the 2020 election. Um, is that something you have to compartmentalize as a human being? Like, yes, we want to fund the road repairs and we want to fund the Medicaid here. And I'm going to have to suck it up and deal with Senator so-and-so who wants to do these terrible, terrible things. I just have to understand that's the reality of the situation. It's incredibly challenging. Yeah. Every day is incredibly challenging. Um, and, you know, I'll say this, too. I was elected to the state legislature after serving on that city council in 2014 um, in a pre-Trump era. Mm -hmm. And when Michigan was a battleground, as was your state, uh, I can tell you the Republicans that I served with in the state house, none of them supported Donald Trump. None of them wanted Donald Trump elected. Uh, and and none of them were outwardly endorsing him, did not want to appear at rallies with him. Um, but when Election Day came to pass, they all voted for him. They just sucked it up uh, and, and towed the party line, despite the fact that they were not enthusiastic supporters of him uh, and voted him in. Here we are the, all these years later, and the people that avoided Donald Trump in 2015, 2016, did not want him to come to Michigan, did not stand beside him when he rallied in our state. They're all in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of become this very, very um, distressing atmosphere in the state legislature where part of it is like, did they sell their core values um, to be a part of this, this, this new political era? Uh, or do they not even believe it at all? And it's all just performative. Um, so uh, it, it's very distressing to serve with people who, you know, on so many other issues, you can work with them on so many other issues. 
Um, you can reach across the aisle, find common ground. But at the core of it, they're supporting somebody who uh, really wanted to dismantle our democracy as we as we know it. Um, and and again, it's all about compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, you know, there's certainly some people in the legislature that you just can't work with them. You can't reason with the yeah. unreasonable. Um, so every day is a delicate balancing act. And to that end. Uh, the Michigan legislature, and specifically the Michigan Senate, has been in Republican control for 40 years, longer than I've been alive. Uh, and so if, if, I, if I cannot any longer reason, find reason with the unreasonable, it's time to, time to shift who's in power. Yeah. And so we are really working incredibly hard here in the state of Michigan to get a Democratic majority for the first time in longer than a generation. So we no longer have to do these mental gymnastics um, to work on economic development with somebody who's trying to dismantle an election, um, you know, to work on, on, on housing uh, stability. Uh, here in the state of Michigan with somebody who believes that COVID is a hoax. So uh, no longer do I want to play these mental gymnastics every day uh, as I go to fight for the communities in my district. You know, you talk about changing the people in power. And one thing I've noticed, and it really stands out in Michigan, maybe I'm missing something, but um, it stands out that one, the Republicans in Michigan seem pretty different than they were a few years ago, where they would seem to be more business minded as the focus, even if I disagreed with their policies. But not only that, the Democrats in Michigan seem a lot different, just in terms of the actual people. It's a younger Democratic Party, I think, in terms of leadership, in terms of who's outspoken, uh, who's getting elected. Um, and not only that, but at all up and down the ballot, from the governor and attorney general, it seems like a very cohesive and energetic party. How do you manage that? Like, that, that didn't just happen overnight, right? Is that, like, did anything special happen where people are like, yeah, let's... Let's make sure that this is what we're doing to recruit and change this party. Well, I'll, t- I'll give you an example from where I live. I live in Oakland County, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, which is the suburban county north of Wayne County, which is Detroit. And for decades and decades and decades, uh, out of the several Democratic, or pardon me, out of the several state Senate seats that touch Oakland County, there's been one Democratic state senator uh, at the south end of the county uh, for Years and years ago, it was Sander Levin went on to be a congressman. Uh, this seat has also been held by Gary Peters, uh, who's now our U.S. senator. And so that's the seat that I ran for, that Democratic gerrymandered seat at the south end uh, of, of Oakland County. And that's the seat that I won in 2018. Uh, but Oakland County is also home to Mitt Romney. Uh, Mitt Romney's father, George Romney, was our governor. Mitt Romney was raised here in Oakland County in Bloomfield, Michigan. Uh, and and just like Mitt Romney uh, and, and many others like him in that wing of the Republican Party, they have had enough. And more than Mitt Romney, those Republicans walked away. I don't know that they necessarily feel like they're Democrats, uh, but they knew that they didn't support Donald Trump and Donald Trumpism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they walked away uh, from, from the, the Republican Party. They were not these um, nationalists, white nationalists. They were not uh, hardened on these social issues. They are pro-choice. And certainly, as you mentioned, you know, they were very business-friendly Republicans, but they realized we're never going to attract talent in Michigan uh, so long as we have uh, Trump and Trumpism controlling uh, uh, the Republican Party uh, here in the state. So in 2018, I won that Southern Oakland County Democratic seat 
But two other Democrats flipped two other seats in Oakland County. So we went from this uh, this one one seat, uh, uh, along with uh, uh, four Republicans that touch Oakland County, uh, to three Democratic seats and two Republicans that represent Oakland County. And that's not just the story here in Oakland County. That's the story out in West Michigan and Grand Rapids. Um, that's the home of Gerald Ford. Um, so Gerald Ford Republicans gave up on the Republican Party. Uh, that's the story in Midland. That's the story in Kalamazoo. So it's really been the story of Michigan uh, finding its footing uh, and electing Democrats at the legislative level and also electing uh, Democrats at the top of the ticket, those are the ones that bolstered Gretchen Whitmer's victory in 2018, uh, has been the story of suburbs fighting back. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been a huge part of the formula. Yeah, it's really um, exciting to see. I, I end up liking following people from Michigan, uh, second only to my own Commonwealth, Pennsylvania. Um, but one thing I said that you pointed out is you were one of the younger people running. <clears throat> and I feel like in, in my borough, we have a lot of young people that have run, which we've really encouraged for local office. Uh, but it, I feel like there's a lot of people who are younger in office, who or not in office, younger in this world, who kind of look at politics and say, you got to have more experience. You have to work for a congressman before you do it or you have to really be into it that's not for me why would you be encouraging younger people to take up that mantle and try and run for whatever whether it's local office or legislature well as a young person in michigan you can either do two things you can give up or get active mm -hmm. and so those of us who wanted to get active entered into this arena and really, we've been buoyed uh, as a Michigan Democratic Party by young voices who have been fed up by uh, a generation of Republican control. Again, I'm 36 years old. I'm no longer the 24-year-old that ran uh, for the Southfield City Council. I'm 36 years old, and for my entire life, Republicans have controlled the Michigan Senate. And so I think there's been everybody from 36 on younger um, who's just been frustrated by the lack of action, the lack of of progress we could make in so many different areas here in our state um, that instead of giving up, they got active. And so, yeah, we, Mallory McMorrow and I are the youngest members of the Michigan Senate. There are many other younger members in the Michigan House uh, on the Democratic uh, side uh, that, that have stepped up um, to be this emerging generation of Michigan leaders trying to lead us to the, to the next place that we need to go. Yeah. Now, the only way you can become a majority is by defeating the other party. But the only way you can be successful at passing legislation is also compromising with the other party. Right. And and this is a conundrum I see in politics now. I'm sure you do, too, where the person you're most likely to be able to negotiate with and compromise with is someone from a more, as they say, purplish district. So someone who, instead yeah. of winning a 75 percent Republican district, 55, 45. We have those every in every state, basically. Um but you, those are the people who you're most likely to beat. So how do you manage that as someone who wants to win those elections and also wants to work with Representative or Senator Heil or, well, I want to say I'm the Republican. So <laughs> Senator Shank, like how do you manage that kind of relationship where you kind of, you understand the game, but you both also want to get things done? It's tough. I, again, yeah. you know, it's really about compartmentalizing and figuring out where can you meet, where can you agree, where can you set aside you some of your most core differences to find what your most core values that you share in common are. And so some of the things that I mentioned earlier are not just, you know, they weren't just examples. They were actual things I worked on mm -hmm. um, with my colleagues. We are part of this housing coalition. 
uh, that is bipartisan to figure out, you know, okay, we want to really attract people to work here. Uh, but if they can't find a place to live that's affordable, then they're not going to work here. So we put aside some of our differences on, on major uh, core other issues uh, to figure out how to form this housing Michigan coalition to, to find that that workforce housing, to create that workforce housing that's needed here in Michigan. Uh, police reform, uh, you know, we all saw this horrible tragedy of the murder of George Floyd in 2020. Uh, and Republicans came on board to some of the calls that we've been making as Democrats for a long time on police reform. Um, some common sense things like figuring out how to restrict no-knock warrants and chokeholds, uh, figuring out if a bad cop uh, gets out of one police department, how do we protect the other police departments mm -hmm. from not having them uh, hire that person and then pollute uh, that police department. Um, so some of the common sense things we've been able to find common ground on. Um, but again, you know, that is again, that it's a Democrat scraping and scratching to find these areas in the minority of where we can agree with the majority, because at the end of the day, they have full veto power over any of our ideas. And so it, it is tough. It is challenging. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, I, I'd like them to be in that uh, situation mm -hmm. where they have to be the ones that come to us um, for the first time in 40 years. Um, and we can actually set the agenda and we can actually uh, move the ball forward on so many of these issues that we've been just kind of begging and pleading for them to reach back out to us. Well, from what I can tell, I know it's a tough presidential midterm election, but you guys might have some favor more favorable districts in some way. You have a good top of the ticket. Um, I think Gretchen Whitmer is one of the top five governors in the, in the country. You probably agree. Um, so uh, you might be in the majority, whether it is in a few months or in a couple years, you know, working at it. That's not out of the realm of possibility that your party could have a trifecta in the government. Now, there are certain things you can only do on a federal level, but what would you what would be your goals that you think would define success when you had that kind of majority power to pass the legislation you want? I mean, there's so many different things that you can talk about in the state of Michigan we've been harping on for a very long time. And I'll give you one example, which is gun reform. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in last winter, we suffered a tragedy here in our state at Oxford uh, High School with the horrible school shooting that, that took the lives of, of several students there. And that's in Oakland County, in my county. Mm -hmm. And so we pushed forward on measures that we have been promoting for years. Back in 2016, when I was a state representative, in June of 2016, we formed a gun violence prevention caucus. It was not popular even even amongst Democrats. We were told by some of our of our party uh, colleagues that this is this is going to lose us elections if you talk about about gun control. Um, but nonetheless, we pressed forward on these common sense, proven measures to reduce gun deaths and injuries, safe storage laws, universal strengthened background checks. Uh, red flag laws, reducing magazine capacity. And for six years, from June of 2016 uh, until Oxford, uh, which was last uh, the end of last year, the Republican majority had squandered all of those opportunities to take up these measures and save lives. And we pressed forward again after Oxford. And our Republican colleagues told us, now is not the time. There's a community in grief. Do not politicize this. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we shouldn't be talking about this now. Flash forward, not six months later, uh, you had this tragedy in Buffalo and you had this tragedy in Uvalde. And I took to the mic to continue to push forward on our bills that have languished for years and years and years. And Republicans said to us, now is not the time. There's a community in grief. 
Uh, we can't politicize this tragedy. Well, we'll always live in grief right. if we don't take action on reducing gun violence and gun deaths and injuries. So now is the time. And so I think that is one of our policy platforms that is resonating with folks all throughout the state with responsible gun owners. 90% of responsible gun owners support what we're doing. Um, so I, I think that is that is a measure that, that we would push forward and press forward on uh, in the majority. We talked about choice, and, and, and of course that is something that Republicans just fundamentally do not agree with where the rest of the state of Michigan uh, is at. And there are just so many other measures that we would tackle um, had, had, it, had it not been for a Republican majority preventing us from getting to where we need to go. You know, you, you, one thing you just brought up that uh, stuck in my mind is for many years, and I'm sure you've seen this, witnessed it, got frustrated by it, uh, Democrats have like always been walking on eggshells and cautious about, well, we like, yes, they say we can't talk about that, but we, all, we know we really probably shouldn't, like whether it is um, guns, abortion, lots of issues. And now it seems like Democrats are finally realizing that, no, you're going to cost more by not talking about those things. And like, um, you know, I got involved in politics 20 years ago. And if you had Democrats talking about um, gay marriage and LGBT rights, like they would be laughed out of the building practically. And now it's if you don't, you're going to be laughed out of the caucus. Do you think that is the attitude amongst Democrats changing about being um, more out there in their messaging and not being as cautious? Absolutely. Totally. And I want to give some concrete examples of that. So again, back to where I represent, Oakland County. Um, again, this shifting county of, you know, this once Republican stronghold, but not extremist Republicans. I knocked doors. This is 2014. So pre pre Trump, when I knocked doors for state representative. And I remember I knocked, uh, I live in this Democratic base, but I had a northern part of my district that was maybe a little bit more 50-50. And we knocked on doors. Uh, and I remember hearing from voters who said, oh, yes, Jeremy, I'm supporting you, but I'm not, I'm not going to take a lawn sign. You know, nobody else in this neighborhood is a Democrat. You know, I really don't want to be out there, but don't worry, you have my vote. I'll go to the next door. What do they say? You know, I'm the only Democrat in this neighborhood. <laughs> I don't, you know, I really don't want to be outward, but I'm absolutely supporting you. The next door. You know, I'm the only Democrat <laughs> in the neighborhood. And it's like, you all need to talk to each yeah. other because you're all Democrats. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, and so that. That has been the major shift in Michigan. Democrats realizing that they're not on an island, that they're not alone, that, that their neighbors believe the same things that they believe. And, and so it's, again, in 2016, when we formed this caucus, uh, we were told by Democratic colleagues in the House, don't campaign on this. People, Republicans will spin this as, we're taking your guns. Um, we didn't take anybody's gun. Uh, and, and, and responsible gun owners support what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been on the right side of these issues. We just need to talk about them. Goes same thing with abortion. We've been tiptoeing around abortion, um, I think, for a generation um, and have really let the other side re you know, reclaim their messaging on it. But so many people uh, are pro-life and pro-choice. You know, we're all pro-life, but would not want to dictate to anybody else the choice that they would have to make. 
um, because it's 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 your definition of when life begins when you when you need to determine the future uh, of your pregnancy, and, and so so Democrats, you know, I think needed to be more outward in their support for some of these positions because they're broadly shared, not just within our party, but amongst the public. And you can look at Kansas as an example, and you can look at the 90% uh, of, 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 of people around this country who support our efforts on, on gun reform. But we've been so skittish to talk about it in these concrete, understandable terms. And we've tried to find what our spin of our messaging is when all along people were behind us. Um, and so, yeah, you know, for the for the neighbors that believe that they're they're the only Democrat in the neighborhood, you're probably not. You're really probably not. Yeah, I have found many times, including right now in 2022 here in PA with our Senate candidate John Fetterman, people would rather you be authentic and support whatever position it is than think that you're hiding behind that you're going to get in and actually sneak in a liberal position. They they right. rather just they'll they'll vote for you if you're out front about it more likely than they will if they think that you might do something behind your back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a story guy, so I have a story for that, yes. too. Uh, knocking doors on, on my campaign in, in 2014 for, for the state legislature. Talking, I, a guy asked me on the door about uh, about gun reform, you know, even then. Uh, and I was honest with my positions. And he kind of, you know, shooed me off his porch. He didn't agree. He was a Second Amendment guy. Um, so kind of the opposite of that, you know, the other neighbors that said they were the only Democrats in the neighborhood. He was the guy who said, get off my porch. I don't want to talk to you. But nonetheless, a Democrat. So he comes to the polls months later. And I think the whole time, OK, I lost this guy's vote. There's just no way. Months later, I had a the primary election. And at his polling site, I heard from my volunteer, hey, there was this guy that came up, and, and Jeremy, your primary opponent was there, and this guy challenged him on gun reform, and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if it was that same guy. And, you know, your opponent was there and kind of skittish around and didn't really give an answer, and he said to that guy, you know what, Jeremy Moss came to my door, and he was honest about his position, and I respect that. You're not giving me a straight answer. And I'm thinking, you know, for months and months and months, I thought, you know, this guy's never going to vote for me. And it turns out on election day, because he met my primary opponent, who was a little bit dishonest with him, he probably did end up voting with me, uh, for me. So people really respect honesty uh, and, and people res respect straightforward talk, um, whether or not, uh, you know, you agree or, or disagree. Um, they want to know that you're, you're not going to you're not going to be some sort of uh, lying politician. You're going to be an earnest person from the neighborhood. Um, who's going to fight for, for the values you believe in. Yeah, that's great. And I know that people are storytelling animals, and when it comes to politics, facts and numbers are important, but not nearly as important as the kind of stories you can tell. Yeah, exactly right. Now, honestly, you're talking about honestly, um, the podcast about running for office, why people should run, and right now, like you said, you, you gave good reasons why people should run. So maybe we answered that already, but... If people are interested in doing something, they don't know what to do. Where, do, where would you tell people to start if they're watching everything? And just like so many others you've heard from, they're frustrated with the world. Where would your, be your starting location to do? A few places. I think first is your city council meeting. That's how I got involved. Um, I was a city council watcher. I found it interesting. Mm -hmm. I connected with the mayor. The mayor took me uh, as a young person under her wing um, and you know helped me kind of uh, find my path. Go to your local Democratic Party, your local Democratic club meeting, the most local. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, no, you don't have to go to the state party or the or the county party. You can go 
uh, to the local city club uh, and just get involved that way. I mean, it really does start at the local level. I think, you know, those who want to run for office and have their have their sights on all these big offices, if you don't know your neighbors, if you don't know the local boards and commissions, if you don't know the city council members, it's going to be all the more difficult. And so really change starts at home. Uh, on the very local level um, and, and ensuring that you know what's going on in every neighborhood uh, in your community is, is incredibly important. So that starts at the local Democratic Club, that starts at the city council meeting, that starts with getting involved in a local board or commission um, and, and really figuring out, you know, who are the who are the change makers in the community and how can you join them? Yeah, that's how we did it here in Bridgeport. Our current mayor came to do something local about a little library and a few years ago in 2017. Yeah. And then she ran for council and now she's a 30 year old mayor of a town running her police department. And we have other people right. on our council who came to something and that was it. Cause it's, you know, it's hard to find people who want to run for office. So if anyone shows a little bit of interest, you're going to grab them up and make sure they do something. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, it's funny how those library issues stick. Our mayor back in 2001 was on the city council uh, and we've had this uh, this uh, library debate too, uh, and she and she won a campaign because she was uh, in favor uh, of 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 expanding our library, uh, and she ousted a thirty year incumbent uh, as as mayor of the city of Southfield, uh, and now that that woman is our congresswoman Brenda Lawrence. Uh, so you know you never know where a city council and a mayoral race will get you. Yeah, and it's amazing that libraries would be controversial or would be opposed to anything with it, but I'm almost glad someone would be because it provides an opportunity for good people. Um, right. But you have been one of my favorite people to follow. I really appreciate what you're doing in Michigan, and so I want other people to follow you um, and hopefully be inspired, maybe ask you questions and get involved with running. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow you online and uh, maybe be in touch? Twitter. I love my Twitter account. Um, when Twitter is down, I'm lost. So, uh, so follow me on Twitter, Jeremy Allen Moss, A L L E N, uh, and uh, would love to connect with folks. Um, I also have uh, Instagram and Facebook page, uh, and you can stay connected with our campaign efforts at votejeremymoss.com. Great. I really appreciate it. everyone can follow Jeremy because unlike other people in elected office, he has not been banned from Twitter for instigating any violent mobs. No, no, and I don't plan on it. Good. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, I hope that everyone that listened today will be inspired by Jeremy and uh, maybe you, especially if you're younger in uh, this world, will take it up and run for office too. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, so much. I appreciate talking with you today. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. best here or will i be here next year or are these my best years yet was looking forward to being important but i'm not important yet
Can we skip to the good part?